Good Sabbath afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another beautiful Sabbath day. It's a pleasure to be together here on God's Sabbath day. A beautiful day here in southern Ontario where we're from. Hope it's uh, beautiful where you are. And any, any Sabbath is a beautiful day. Today is the fourth day of the fifth month in God's calendar. We are 56 days from trumpets, so exactly eight weeks from the Feast of Trumpets. That time certainly does fly by. Uh, certainly welcome everyone uh, here to jo- joining our, our congregation here in Burlington. As you can tell, we are still not able to meet in person, although uh, news rumblings have us uh, uh, opening up a little more here in our region. So hopefully in the coming weeks, we'll be back together. We will open with prayer today. We'll have Landon Palmatier uh, uh, provide the opening prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear God, thank you for gathering us all here together safely in our individual homes. We pray that uh, you may bless the service and um, open our hearts, open our minds to hear what your servant has to give us today. Uh, we pray that everything with the technology goes well. And we are able to have a full and complete service. Pray that we are able to fellowship afterwards. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Landon. We will now sing our first hymn. Today we will sing from page 17. The words, as usual, will be flashed on your screen. But if you do have a hymn book in front of you, it'll be on page 17. We will sing, We Gather Together. That's page 17, We Gather Together. Thank you for that. I do understand from the comments that you were unable to hear the piano. I do apologize for that. Um, the scripture reading, we will now go to our scripture reading. Uh, today's portion of scripture will be from the uh, book of Habakkuk. We will read Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and I'll invite Brother Daniel Kowalczyk to uh, uh, provide today's scripture reading. 
Good afternoon, brethren. Uh, the scripture reading today is taken from Habakkuk 2, verses 1 to 4. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Amen. Thank you very much, Daniel, for providing that. Before we get to the sermon, uh, we have just a few announcements to make. We'll cover those off now. The first announcement, as we typically do, is we announce this coming Wednesday's Bible study. If you've been following along, we came to the end of the story of Samson this past week. We will pick up the uh, story in Judges, in Judges chapter 17, this Wednesday evening at 7.30. The, for, uh, unless you, uh, if you haven't heard, the uh, home office in Tyler announced that uh, the feasts, the destination feasts in the U.S. have been canceled this year. It's certainly something that uh, took a lot of prayer and, and, and discussion. And unfortunately, given all the circumstances uh, around the United States, they have decided to cancel the destination uh, feast sites, those being Land Between the Lakes, Myrtle Beach, Harrison, Arkansas, and St. Petersburg, Florida. The Medina, Ohio local congregation is certainly open. And for those of you wondering about Canada, uh, we have heard back from the festival coordination team for Canada that it is still on, it is still a go. Obviously, Circumstances may change between now and the feast, depending on on how things go with, uh, with the virus and and governmental regulations. But the area in Canada is is about two hours away from the, the major met- metropolitan areas of the Toronto area. So at this point, uh, we will still be having the feast up in Collingwood. There may be some logistical uh, alterations with uh, to, to make sure that we're in uh, in line and in compliance with regulations, but at this point, um, we will still be having the Canadian Feast site. And then uh, finally, uh, next Sabbath, uh, it, we are week to week here. We're able to provide this service here on this network at uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern um, because the Burlington congregation is not meeting. Things are starting to look like we're opening up, so we can't tell from week to week if we will be back together. So just wanted to remind everybody that if we aren't here next week, it's because we are back together. Uh, those decisions won't be made until later this week. Uh, but we will provide an up- updates on our Facebook page, uh, should anything, um, go on, should any, any changes be made with regard to uh, where we're able to keep our, our services. And obviously we are, uh, very much looking forward to being back together at some point. And that is a week to week decision but we'll keep everybody updated with announcements through our Facebook page and, uh, and other social media outlets. We will uh, forego the next hymn uh, because we did have some problems with the, the music, and we will proceed now right into the sermon, and I invite our deacon and our brother Jan Kowalczyk to uh, provide us with this week's sermon. He'll, he'll be speaking to us on a topic entitled, The Just Shall Live by Faith. The Just Shall Live by Faith. Deacon Jan. Oh, thank you, Pastor Murray, and hello, good afternoon to everybody, and happy Sabbath day, as Pastor Murray said, every Sabbath it's supposed to be, it is a very happy day. So here's the title of my message, and 
hopefully we'll navigate it through it peacefully and uh and I hope that at the end of the message, I hope and pray that it will be very beneficial to your walk with God, to your walk with Christ. And let me start with some history lessons. You know, human, human history, as we know, from the beginning, from the early inceptions and on, is marked by bloody conflicts. Even our Bible from the beginning, it didn't take many chapters to have about bloody conflict between two brothers. And this is the same thing we experience in our human history. And if we just, just take, for example, just the last century alone, I mean, from now today, or let's say the last century, just go back, 100 years back. If we just look at some statistics, you know, how many people were lost during some of the main conflicts? I was just talking about the main conflicts. I'm not trying to add up all the other conflicts, just the main conflict. So, for example... World War First. World War First, the total number in casualties, people who lost their lives, were about 40 million people. Can we just imagine? A war lasting about four years cost us about 40 million human lives. 40 million people would be like almost like the size of Canada as a country, the way how it is today. Imagine country like Canada, the population just wipe out in a matter of four years. The other major conflict that we know, World War II, which brought the casualty almost double to that what happened during the First World War, to about 75 to 80 million people. Can you imagine five years, or over five years, over 80 million people died during this conflict? So, so far we have about, you know, add and subtract about 120 million people that lost their lives. And just the Soviet Union alone, back then in Second World War, lost about over 20 million people. Just one country lost about 20 million people. Now, if I would bring to this statistic a Russian civil war, or let's call it a Russian revolution or Bolshevik revolution, into these statistics and the regime that took over from this day, not just during the revolutions alone that lasted for about a year, which about five to nine million people died, but all the consequences from these revolutions on to this day will put the number around 100 million lives lost. Can you imagine these numbers? 100 million people lost. Now, we try to add these things together. Just the last century alone, just last 100 years, we lost over 220 million people in different conflicts. What lesson, just from this, what lesson should we learn as in human beings? The one of the most important lessons we can learn, we just can't govern ourselves peacefully. We change the systems how we govern ourselves, we change the economic system, how we provide wealth for ourselves, and just things don't work. We just don't know how to govern ourselves. Now, if you really want to, if I would start adding other conflicts or other human lives, let's say, if I would add to this the abortions, okay, 
let's say without, let's say, just the U.S. number of abortions alone since 1973 till now, we have additional 62 million babies that lost their lives. 62 million babies. If I would, let's say, up Canada numbers here, we would be close to 2 million babies that lost their lives. And if I would add all the other countries, starting from China, we would be close to a billion. Can you imagine these numbers? And yet, we have a little pandemics going on that compares to the percentage of, of you know, populations, and we go crazy. We go nuts. We try to shut down everything possible just to in name of trying to save human lives. But through the back door, abortions cleaning are still open. The conflict are still going on in some of the countries. We don't care about that. We just don't care about that. Now, if I talk about all these conflicts, if I would ask you a question, which of this conflict was the most devastated to Christianity? And I mean Christianity just in general terms. Which of this conflict was the most devastated to Christianity? And I hope, I hope that you would answer the communism, socialism, communism. And I hope that, that the answer you would give it to me. And the reason why, because, you know, we have to be, we have to realize that the same system is coming back again. We haven't just said that this thing doesn't work, let's try something new. Now, for some reasons, all these countries, and especially on a global arena, for some reason we still want to go back to the socialism, communism, for one reason or the other. And I don't fully understand why, but as we live in this day and age, we know and realize how everything, how everything can change. And not on a slow pace. Everything can change in a matter of days and weeks, just like, two, like 2020. Before I go into my message deeply, let me tell you a quick story here. It's based on a, it's actually, that's a historical fact. It's not a story, there are historical facts. We all heard about Jehovah's Witness, right? So, during the Second World War, Jehovah's Witnesses, as an organization, as a, let's call it a Christian organization, suffered, suffered horrific religious persecution by Nazi Germany. Of all the Christian organizations, it was the only one on a Nazi radar, and they wanted to totally wipe it out. So from 1933 to 1945, about 10,000 of them were either killed, died in a concentration camps, executed on the spots. And the reason why the Nazis, the Nazis so much hate this group, because they refused to, to cooperate with the Nazi system, with the Nazi Germany. 10,000 people, you might look at this, this is not a big number compared to, you know, the numbers that they gave you about the Second World War. It's not a big number, but the whole organizations of Jehovah Witness in Germany at the time was about just over 20,000 people. Half of them, half of them lost their lives in a matter of eight years or so. It was the first and the only Christian organizations in Germany that were so much and so heavily persecuted. And 
You might say, like, wait a minute, Jen, here. Slow down. What about the Jews? Jews were persecuted not because of their religion. Jews were persecuted just because of their ethnicity. But Jehovah's Witnesses were persecuted because of what they stand for, what they believe as a religion. And most natural questions come, why? Why would the Germans hate them so much that they're willing to destroy their own citizens? Let me tell you what they believe. And it was easy for them. It was easy for them to accept, to, to escape all this persecution. You know what they had to do? Just sign a little piece of a paper with their name. Just sign a paper with their name and just renounce their religion. Okay? Renounce their faith. If they would sign up on the sheets that they submit to the governing authority, and if they would sign up, they will support a German, German military force. That's it. You sign this paper, and you're good. Or the other options. You may spare your life as long as you give them another two people who are from your own group. So basically, hey, I know a brother and sister, let's say they live here and there, here's the address. I want you to go and arrest them, but please spare my life. Interesting. How would we behave as an organization? How would we behave on an individual basis when you have to live in an environment like that? And you know why they refuse to do this thing? They would rather die than do this thing. Do you know why? One scripture comes to mind. One scripture, and we covered the scriptures many times, but one scripture that they actually live by. So strongly, so strongly believed. And most of us will say, you know, these people did not have a God's Holy Spirit, right? We do have God's Holy Spirit. Now, are we as brave, as dedicated, believing so strongly what we believe? Are we standing up what is written in this book? How would we behave? Would it be easier for us? Just go with the system, sign up a piece of paper, or maybe just hide and pretend just like nothing happened. And just try to ride the wave and hopefully, you know, nothing's going to happen. We're just going to, you know, at the end of the day, for some reason, we're going to be alive. What the scriptures would it so strongly believe? Open your Bible. Turn your Bible to John, Gospel of John. I'll show you the scripture. You know what scripture we're probably going to show you. John chapter 15. And as you go there, it's a wonderful scripture. We covered the scriptures for the last number of weeks. Each of the speakers who was here before me, any single one of them, we had a part in this part of the chapter, talking about this part of the scripture. John chapter 15. This is the reason. This is the reason why they refuse to do this thing. Let's read it together. John chapter 15, verse 12 to 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. They did not want it to fight. They wanted to preach the good news. They were not interested in a conflict. They were not interested in a global, global conflict. They were not interested in German pride. They said, I can't, I can't 
join the military and go and invade some other countries when my brothers and sisters left. They say that we have brothers and sisters all over the world. It doesn't matter what your nationality, what your language, what your race is. As long as you have a witness, it's your part. You're part of God's church. And we are all the same. And we need to stand up for one another. And they refused. They died. Sacrificed they, their own lives for one another. And for the gospel. The way, at least how they understand it. Why I'm telling stories to you like this? Because it's interesting. Where were all the other religions? Where was the Catholic Church? Oh, they signed the Concordat with the German Hitler. Where was the Lutheran Church? Where were the other Protestant sisters of that church? Yeah, you know, to be to be honest, it's true. There were some pastors who refused to cooperate, and many of them, many of them were persecuted, many of them died in concentrations camps or were executed. But majority, majority of German Christians align with a Hitler vision or a strong Germany above any other nation of the world. That's the truth. I'm not making it up. It's a historical fact. These people were grounded in the scripture. These people were so convicted about their beliefs that they were ready to die for it. Obviously, what about us? What about me? What about you? Are you ready to do the same? Here we are in 2020. Javier already passed by. We have a little pandemic here. We are all confused. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to behave. And on top of that, our economies are paralyzed. Some of us, some of us lost jobs. Many people in both countries, everywhere across the globe, lost their jobs. And on top of that, we have American elections and so much hatred coming because of the election, social unrest, racial unrest, and it's spilling all over the place, in Canada, in Europe, Japan, all over the place. How do we behave? How do we know what to do? How come that sometimes we're just so blind and we are so deceived that we actually don't even realize most of the time that we, you know, we are on the course, on the, on the way to betray our brothers and sisters. How is that possible? We say that we, we are the church of God. We, we are the first fruits. We are going to be teachers in the kingdom of God. My question is, what are we going to teach? In this kingdom. What are we going to teach in this kingdom? How to have differences between one another? That's what we're going to teach. How to disagree on so many theological aspects? Is that what God called us for? Is that why God's going to give us this eternal life so in the kingdom we can spend eternity on disagreeing with one another? 
Tough question. Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? Why do we have trouble in many situations in a peaceful, relatively peaceful environment? Whatever is happening right now, brethren, does nothing. What happened in all those conflicts that I just mentioned to you? Whatever is happening right now, it is nothing. Many people would love to have what we have right now. Many, many people, many other countries love to have what we have right now, but they can't. Why is so easy to distract us from God's vision? Why is it so easy to distract us from God's kingdom and get entangled ourselves, either in the political issues, you know, social issues, racial issues, and all these movements, you know, all over the place. Why? Why is it so easy for us to be entangled with it? And once we are entangled with it, then, you know, no rules. We can watch a post on social media, or let's say, brothers and sisters, and let's, let's just take it as an example, in the States, that let's say one is voting Republican, but the other is voting Democrats, and they just hate each other, but they say they are the first fruits. They're going to be part in the first resurrection. How is that possible? How is that possible? And I could give you many other examples. So what are the reasons? What are the reasons that we as a church have such a problem? How to behave at sometimes? Why? What is our passion? Why we can't show the same passion for Christ? Why we can't show the same passion for God's kingdom? You know, the same way as we show our passions, let's say, for our work, for our social activism. You know, to defend our, you know, our point of view, whatever it may be. Why we show such a strong passion in that direction, but hardly we mention anything about Christ, anything about God's kingdom. Why we couldn't exchange such a hard and difficult messages on social media, and why cannot be, let's say, like Jehovah's Witnesses, that use this time let's say, to walk from home to home, knock on the door and say, hello, I have a message for you. You know, the kingdom of God is coming and you need to repent. Why we don't do that? Why? Why do you have the reasons? So let me share share some thoughts. Because I've been I've been trying to Evaluate the situations, you know, so many days, so many hours. Try to come to grip, like, what's going on here? What is happening? You know, why we as a church, as an organization, why we are so weak? And, you know, let me share just my few thoughts. And, you know, you're very, very much welcome to disagree with me. Let me tell you, I would call it a syndrome. Okay, so I'll call the first one. That we have such a problem in our churches, I'll call it the first syndrome, I'll call it the Jephthah syndrome. And some of you who are not following our weekly Bible study with Pastor Agent, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But in the book of Judges, you know, Pastor Agent is covering the book of Judges. I would very strongly recommend, not just because I like him, but because the message that he's presenting to this book, the book of Judges, 
is so relevant for us here today in North America. It's just a mind-blowing how Israel left at that time, how arrogant, how horrible as a people they were. And there is a message for us. Because you know what? We are running behind them. And we might become even worse. Seriously. I'm going to call the Jaktasim syndrome. What I mean by the first before we're actually going to figure it out what the syndrome is all about. Let's just define what a syndrome is. Okay? So we'll have some ideas. What I mean by a syndrome? What is the definition of a syndrome? So the definition of a syndrome is a combination of symptoms and signs that together, the symptoms and signs that together represents a disease process that leads to destruction. Disease process that leads to destruction. Okay? So, what's the Jephthah syndrome? So, let me tell you. If you listen to the last week's sermon, you heard the sermon about the doctrine, about this. What is the sound doctrine? So, the Jephthah syndrome, it's come when I was listening to Pastor Age during the Bible study, it just hit me. It's right there in the Bible. What is it? Intellectual, biblical knowledge not supported by our behavior. Let me repeat myself. Intellectual, biblical knowledge not supported by our behavior. Let me give you the example from a chapter's life, okay? So we will know exactly what's happening here. So here in church in general, we do have a great knowledge to some degree. Not all of us, but many of us. We have a great knowledge. We go into our details, trying to disagree with one another, splitting the hair of some of the understanding when it comes to some of the scriptures. But all this intellectual knowledge, for some reason, is not reflected into our behavior. Because if this intellectual knowledge would, if it was reflected in our behavior, it wouldn't come to the point that we don't like each other. Because we just heard John chapter 15 that we should love one another. We should sacrifice our life for one another. So something is not connecting here, right? Something is not connected here. Let's just go to Judges chapter 11. And I'm gonna spend, I'm gonna spend some time there. But please, if you're gonna have a chance, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to this, to this Bible study, to the Bible study series about the book of Judges. And you will never regret. You will never regret. And please, study very carefully. Judges chapter 11. Let's pick up there. I'll just give you a quick, just quick background. Because, you know, we can all find it. There is an archives. You can go to CGIORG. You can find it. Everything is recorded right there for you. So I'm not going to spend, like, you know, all my time here trying to, to cover this, this portion of the scripture. So Judges chapter 11 here. And we'll be spending time, spending a little bit of time talking about the Jephthah syndrome, right? So verse 1, 11, verse 1. So here it says, the Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man in Baal. He was a, a strong man and a brave man. So let's give him a credit for that. Because in some cases, there was no one in Israel who was either mighty or strong, or intelligent enough, or faithful, that you can actually do something for the nation of Israel. 
There are even some points, some cases, that God had to pick and choose a woman to lead them from oppression. This is how horrible the nation of Israel was at that time. All because disobedience. So here we have a Jephthah. He was a mighty man of valor, but look. He was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Right away. Right away. Just tells you a lot, right? What kind of choice God had there to pick a man from the nation of Israel who's going to be a mini savior, kind of, and lead them out of the oppression of Ammonites, right? And look here. So he become a leader. Let's just skip to verse 7. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house because he was son of a, of a, of a prostitute? So they expelled him, but now he want him back because he is, he's a brave man. He is a warrior. <coughs> Excuse me. Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned again to you. Now, did you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead? So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, verse 9, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not, if we, if we do, if, if we do not do according to your words. So when you read these words, like look at this, they say it and you know, God be our witness, everything is, you might, you might, on first impression, you might say like, oh, these people, they're governed by, you know, by God's law. You might think that these people are very obedient. Okay? Wait a minute. That's what, you know, that's sometimes when you take that scripture out of the context, this is what, that's what we, what, that's, that's what we believe. Hold your place here. Just turn back. Just turn back here to the beginning of chapter. And chapter, chapter 10, verse 6. Just look at her quickly, okay? Because that's the set. That's the actually beginning of the story, what happened here. Just This is throughout the book of Judges, constantly, every chapter, multiple times. Verse 6, chapter 10, verse 6. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the ba- Baals and Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. There we go. Go back to chapter 11. And look at verse 12. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me and my land? And this next part of the scriptures is actually very impressive. Very impressive. And what I mean by that, let's just read two verses here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just the three verses, 14 and 15. So Jephthah, so Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people in Ammon and said to him, and he says, look, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. This is brilliant. It's absolutely true. This is what God told Moses to do. He says, don't touch my people. Don't touch Edomites because they're your relatives. And that's exactly what happened. Okay? So he knows the history. He knows a part of the Torah. He actually remembers this thing. What a great leader, right? What a great leader, we would say. So he has definite a strong knowledge in the Bible. To some degree, we would say, right? To some degree. But now, so he's the leader. He tried whatever he can. Skip to verse 27. 
Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, and see, he mentioned Lord's name, he mentions Lord's name. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words of the chapter sent him. It's a war. He tried as much as he could to avoid the conflict based on the historical paper, historical documents that says, this is, listen, we didn't do anything wrong to you. You have nothing, nothing to accuse of. Actually, you broke the God's rules. You're guilty, not us. It didn't work. So everything is so far is so good. Chapter is great. Chapter is great. And now, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Amazing. Amazing. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Skip to verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, and just listen to the vow. It's horrible. Because you think that, you know, he knows the Torah. He knows the historical aspect of the scripture. And you know what it reminds me? Brethren, we have people at church. They can quote scriptures. They can quote scriptures at large. They can quote paragraphs. They can quote some chapters. They can memorize it. They can quote it. Many of us like that. But we don't live by it. Saying is one thing. Doing is the other thing. And it's affecting us. Because when you look at people like that, we say like, wow, this person must be so godly. This person is so spiritual. It's just just the ability how these people quote the scriptures. Brethren, don't pay attention too much to the words. Pay attention to the behavior. Again, don't pay too much attention to the words that these people say. Pay attention to their behaviors. You shall know them by their fruits. It's not that you shall know them by their words. You shall know them by their fruits. So he's about to make a vow to the Lord. And look here. If you, Jephthah, he just received God's Holy Spirit. Shouldn't be that enough. He knows the scriptures, right? He didn't do anything wrong. He is going with God provision to a bottle. He's making a vow. If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, if you, so I don't have a full trust, you know, I don't know, but if you, I am somebody, I am special here. If you got to do this something special for me, I'm going to do something special for you. That's what he's saying here. Into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's. And just stop right here. It's okay. What do you mean by that? You know, we know from the scriptures, let's say, Hannah, she offered her son, Samuel, to the Lord's service. She was barren for so many years, and she said, Lord, if I just get pregnant, if I could have a baby, I promise you, if I had this baby, I would deliver it for your service. That was her vow. Look at this vow. Shall surely be the Lord's. And look what it says. And I will offer it up as a burnt offering. 
what he was thinking when he was making this vow. What he could possibly think in his head that, you know, that somebody's going to run out of his door, of his home, and greet him when he comes back from a battle. Who can that be? Okay, let's say, let's look at some possibilities, okay? Maybe, maybe his dog, maybe his cat, you know, or maybe his hamster, I don't know. But is it possible that maybe, you know what, your wife might be happy to see you, or maybe your child. That's one point. And, you know, he was very impressive so far with stating and quoting what actually the Torah said about the borders, about the nations, all this thing. He was right. He was right in that part. Hold your place here. Hold your place here and go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Okay? You should definitely know about this scripture. If you can remember all the other ones, what about this part? What about this part? Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31. Just one verse. You can read the whole context from, from verse 29, but just verse 31. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominations to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Ah, that was common among the Israelites. They were surrounded by the pagan nations, which they didn't deal with in the first place. And now they are very influenced by the pagan nations. So guess what? Sacrificing their own household, their children to pagan gods, it was okay. So we can make some part of the Torah, which is actually convenient for me, and just go about in the, you know, forget about the other part, because that's actually not supporting my doctrine, and just claim that, you know, look at me, I am such a godly man. I am such a godly man. And now, another point. When you're offering to God, the God of the Bible, when you try to offer a burnt offering, there is a very prescribed and short list what you can offer and what you cannot offer. Okay? You cannot offer a dog or a cat or a hamster. You can't. There's only a few animals that you can actually offer. And definitely, you can, you can never ever offer any human being as a sacrifice to God. This is abomination. Not to Jephthah. He's, he thinks he's a very godly man. Okay? So, when we speak about judges, when we speak about Jephthah, what I'm, what I, what I, what I meant to lead you to believe that, you know, that's exactly what's happening in the church today. We might not sacrifice children, but many of us are okay aborting the children. I say, oh, Jen, you can't say it like that. How not? How can you vote for people? How can you cast your vote for somebody who their platform, who on their agenda is abortion? How? How is that possible? That, you know, what God, what God says prescribes in the Bible as a sinful behavior, you say that you as a Christian has right to vote, and this is exactly my representative or my party that I'm going to cast my vote for. What is our brain? What is our God's Holy Spirit? How is understanding of the, of the Torah? How is the understanding of the Holy Scriptures? We lost it. We lost it. Now, go back to Judges and look here for a second. Verse 34. God delivered. God delivered Israelites, not because they were so godly. 
They were so believing, they were so faithful, God delivered them because God loved them. God made a covenant with them. So you can't destroy them. You can't destroy them. Verse 34. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child. Jephthah. See how stupid you are? How can you make such a vow? Skip down to verse 39. There is another problem here. I would say even bigger problem what Jephthah did. Just keep reading. Verse 39. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her which he had vowed she knew no man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughter of Israel went, went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. So he sacrificed her. To who? To what? To which God he sacrificed his own daughter? It's not the God of the Bible. To which God he made a vow? Because the God of the Bible would never ever accept vow like that. He was a godly man, right? His words, spoken words. He couldn't go back on his spoken words, right? He was such a great man. No, he wasn't. And here, where are the rest of the people? Where were the rest of community who would say, Jephthah, there is no way that you can make vow like that. Jephthah, there is no way that according to my God, according to the Torah, you can sacrifice a human being. I don't care how trustworthy you know who you want to be, but this what you're doing is totally against the God of the Bible. So please stop. Has anybody tried to stop him with this thing? Where was his community? Where were his people? Where were his relatives? They had some knowledge about the Torah. But this knowledge was not reflected in their behavior. They were influenced too much by all the pagans' religions around them. It was a custom. It was a lament. It's not that horrible, but brethren, that was the purpose of the book for us. We can go back. We can read. And we can study and see how horrible these people were. And you know what? We're walking into the same directions. If we are not careful. We're walking into the same directions. If you're not careful. So again, what did I say about the syndrome? Combination of symptoms and signs that together represents a disease process, right? So that was the first thing. We do have intellectual knowledge, but this intellectual knowledge is not reflected in our behavior. Okay? Now, chapter was a great man of Israel. There's probably not the any other one they couldn't find who can actually lead them against the battle with the Ammonites. There's no any other one. Where are all the other men? Where are all the other leaders? Couldn't find it. God had to work whatever he could find. Okay? Jephthah was not perfect. No, oh, any way or shape, he was not perfect. And that's what runs another team through the Bible, through the book of Judges. Please, if you haven't following the, the study on the book of Judges, please do so. It's a very interesting study. 
It's a mind-opening study, at least to me. It's affecting my life. You know, who would get up one morning and let's say, I'm going to read some motivational words for me today, and, you know, I'm going to go to the book of Judges. Who would do this thing? No, we like to go to Psalms, we like to go to Proverbs, we like to go to the Gospels, you know, read some of the letters. Who would go to the book of Judges? But trust me, it's more profitable for the church at the stage that we are right now to study in detail the book of Judges. Please, every Wednesday, 7.30 Eastern Time, won't be disappointed. If you missed it, if you missed something, you can go back. You can listen online. Now, just like Jephthah, we operate the same thing. You know, if you argue some points that are actually supporting our point of view, you pick some scripture, you pick some passage from the Bible in support of what we believe. But we ignore the other ones where actually might be in opposition to whatever we might think we might believe. We pick and choose. Just pick and choose. I'm, call, I'm, I'm calling it a Jephthah syndrome. Okay? Now let me go to the second syndrome. I'm going to call this the Habakkuk syndrome. What's the Habakkuk, Habakkuk syndrome? What is the Habakkuk syndrome? We're going to find out. We're going to go to this, but we're going to read some passages here. But what's the Habakkuk syndrome? It's a poor judgment and lack of patience. Poor judgment and lack of patience. Now, before we go to Habakkuk, Habakkuk let me give you some background, right? So, we're talking about hundreds of years later, after we after the book of Judges. The Judges are gone. We go through some kings now. The northern part of Israel, the northern, northern ten tribe of Israel, are already history. They're gone. For their unfaithfulness, God said, I have enough of you. That's it. You're gone. I can't tolerate you anymore. Only the nations of Judah. And nations of Judah is even worse than the ten tribe of the nation of Israel. Even worse. That's the period that this prophet is writing of. Exactly the same period. But before we go to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, let's go to Jeremiah first. She's going to give you some scriptures here in Jeremiah first before we actually go to that book, okay? Jeremiah chapter 4. Just a quick, you know. Jeremiah chapter 4. Look at verse 22. So I'm just going to quickly, just, 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 few, few, just to give you some glimpse, just to give you some idea how horrible it was before the Judah was destroyed by Babylonians, okay? How horrible it was. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22. For my people are foolish. Imagine if Christ would say something about us in a church. Imagine that. And you think that what? We are smart? That we do everything according to Christ's commandments or God's commandment? My people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children, and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. Oh, we quickly jump to something because this is affecting my emotions. But if you know there is a something to do something good, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm not so sure if I want to do this thing. You know, but these people have a tons of advice. You know, hey, I think you should do this. I think you should do this. Or maybe, you know, when it comes to something like that, I have an idea. Why don't we do like this? Okay, would you like to be, you know, would you like to support unless you organize? Oh, no, no, no. I don't have time. I am a busy man. Oh, how about this? Would you like to maybe have this? No, 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 no. I can't. You know, I have other things to do. I, I, you know, my, my life is very busy. I have to, you know, 
I have to write down my opinion on, let's say, Facebook or, you know, Twitter or someone else just to how I feel about what's happening, what's going on in this society. So please excuse me. Maybe, you know what, maybe next time. Oh, why don't you find somebody else? Okay, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Look at this. It is exactly, it's even worse than it was in the book of Judges. Okay? Verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. God is talking to Jeremiah. You run through through the streets of my city. If you run through, he says, see, see now and know and ask in her open places. If you can find a man, if you can find a one man in the streets of Jerusalem, if you can find a one man in the streets of Jerusalem, if there is if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, God says, if you find one, I will pardon her. If you find one, I will pardon her. Abraham, when he was negotiating with God, he says, what about, you know, 50? What about 100? What about 50? He went down to the 10, I believe. Here, if you just find one, God says, I'll skip the judgment. Did they find one? I guess not. Look at verse 30, the same chapter, verse 30. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? See? You know what? I can't listen to this minister. He is too harsh. I don't like it. I'm going to tune in to somebody else. Let's, you know what? Let's hear a message about love. How to love one another. You know, let's hear a message about how we should love the world. How should we love? How should we love the world? What does God say? How we are about to love the world? Do we even realize, do we ask this question, how are we supposed to do that? Do we follow up with the scripture? I don't think so. Let me give you one more. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly. How? Saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. We have preachers today. Don't preach about the controversial topic. Don't preach about these issues, you know, it might divide the church. While your church is sinking, okay, into something horrible, your church is sinking into the sin. No, 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 don't start the controversy. Don't preach about this thing. This, you know, this must actually might be division in a church. You know that sometimes divisions are good because we will find out who are for God and who are against Him. Why are we afraid to preach messages? What are the leaders, and especially confirmed to the Word of God? What are we afraid of? It's not that it's not that what is required from the text, from the script, to do things like that. I hope so. And look what it says here. These people actually, they bring a false hope. They bring a false hope to the people. They say, oh, they have healed, verse 14, heard of my people slightly. 
peace, peace. Babylonians are coming. Babylonians are coming, and they don't care about your peace. They don't care about your human, as, as you as a human being. They don't care. They don't care about your rights. They don't care about what you do, what you believe, what you feel. Nothing of that. So this is the background, okay, to the Habakkuk writing. So we know it. Book of Judges, how horrible it was back then. Now it's even worse in the Jeremiah time. The destructions, the God's judgment is about to come on this nation. Now we go to Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1. We're talking about the Habakkuk syndrome, right? Chapter 1, verse 1. Here's the prophet. So he's asking a question. He's lamenting. He's posing a direct questions to God. He says right here, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Jeremiah saw it too. Many other prophets saw it too. It, was a nice, it wasn't a nice thing to report. But God was fully aware of what's happening. God was fully aware of what was happening. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you, violence. And you will not say. Wow. Wait a minute. This guy is so righteous. I'm crying, Lord. I'm the only one. And you don't hear. How come you don't say it? What's wrong with you? Can't you see what's happening here? Just keep reading. Why do you show me iniquity? God is showing you iniquity? Your people. Where were you? Where were the other priests and Levites and other leaders? Teaching, preaching, leading by examples. Well, at this time, there is no one. There is absolutely no one in Judah who is godly. What are they? Why do you show me inequity? Cause me to see trouble. Oh, I can't see violence like this. It's happening everywhere. It's not just today. It's been like that for decades. Okay? It's been like that for decades. For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contentions arise. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgments proceed. No one sticks to the Torah. No one sticks to the Torah. And he's asking, God, intervene. We need you. I need you. Please come and help me because I can't look at all this thing. And you know, God's gonna give him, God's gonna give him an answer. Look at verse, look at verse 5. Now it's God's reply to the question that he posed to God, okay? So now it's God replying back to Habakkuk. He's saying, look, look among the nations and watch. Look among the nations and watch. The answer is come. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were, it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation with marchers through the breadth of the earth to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible 
and dreadful their judgment and their dignity proceeds from themselves. Not from the word of God. Not from the Torah. Not from the codified book of law. Just from themselves. So if you want to answer, don't you think I see it? Don't you think I know what's going on? I've been waiting patiently. Month by month, year by year, I've been waiting patiently. So, what do you want me to do? You want me to bring judgment? Yes, I will. I'll be, I will bring judgment. Judgment is coming. Look here. Look at verse 9. They all come for violence. Their faces are, like, are set like the east wind. They gather captivities like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mouths and seize them. Then his mind changes, and, and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. Just think for a moment. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel? When he conquered all these nations, he was happy, right? Remember when Daniel, when Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar about his dream and his explanation to his dream? He says, like, wow, your God is so mighty. You know, only God of Daniel is the most powerful God on this earth. But in a moment, in short period of time, he just switched his mind. He says, no, 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 no. Hey, I'm going to be the last statues to my own God. That's what Babylonians are. That's how they're committed. Okay? You want a judgment? The judgment is coming, you know. Look out. Look out. Watch the nations. And, you know, we sit here today in North America or in Canada, North America. And, you know, we ask God, like, you know, oh, you know, look, God, all this injustice is happening. You know, social and racial, and you're not doing anything. You know, look at us. We are so righteous here in our churches here, you know. Please, God, some of us don't even care. We just like, we just love the life the way we have it here. You know, we just hope that, you know, we just hope that kingdom is not going to come for it soon. It's going to take away all, all of our privileges or whatever we may have it here. Seriously. Because we have such a comfortable life here. But we're still complaining about it. But God is watching. God is bringing a justice. And we are blind to this. We are blind because we are so puffed up by all this knowledge. We are so puffed up thinking that we're so special. That there's no way. There's no way that God's going to bring this judgment that it's going to affect me. I'm the first rule. Can't be like that. Read the script. Read the script. So, Habakkuk, he doesn't like the answer. And no kidding, who would like the answer like that, right? Especially in a human being. But if you trust God, you'll accept whatever he said. And now, go to chapter 2. And look what Habakkuk, Habakkuk is saying. So he's a prophet, right? So he's thinking he's got all these, he's asking God, he's asking God everything, you know, he's entitled to. He wants to do this thing. And look at what he says. In verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Oh, I, I'm Habakkuk. I will stand my watch, and I will set myself on the rampart. So I'm standing there, I'll be watching you here, and I will watch to see what God will say to me. Because I ask him some difficult questions. I don't know how God's going to answer. But I wait. I wait. And I can't wait till God's going to answer. And while I'm waiting, what's going to answer me, I already prepared some other questions. And I watch to see what he will say to me. And, and what I will answer when I am corrected. So you know what's coming. Correction is coming. He said, oh, I have to answer something. I know God's going to come with his correction. 
while find already finding answers to correct God. Amazing. And Lord answered and said, verse 2, and he says, this is a vision. And he says, I want you to write this vision. Write it. Write the vision and make it plain on the tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Not on for your time, not on your time, not on my time. This is a vision appointed for God's time. God is in charge. God is in control. If you are faithful, if you are godly, you know what to do. Or at least you should know what to do. Don't, don't be concerned. Don't be concerned with whatever things happening around you. You have your God. You have your law. You have your script. Don't be concerned. I'm watching. I'm in control. And I will perform everything, whatever I desire, at my appointed time. And he says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but the end it will speak and will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. When God said something, he can go back on his words. When God promised something, he will deliver it. He will deliver it. This is God. That's his words. It's a powerful saying. And then he says like this. Behold. Behold. The word is falling apart you all over the place, right? Behold, the proud. His soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. The things might look horrible. You might be confused. You might think like, Father, what are you doing? Don't worry. He's in control. He knows exactly what he is doing. Just make sure. Just make sure, please, that you do his will. That you do. That you live by faith in him. Is not this thing powerful? Let me read this verse from an NIV version. The same, the last verse from NIV version. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. What does it mean to you? What does it mean, what does it mean for us? Again, rumors of wars. Wars, pandemics, you name it, earthquakes, okay? Whatever may happen around you, don't be disturbed. Don't be panic. Live a righteous, faithful life in God. You know, you might not understand some of this theology. You might not understand some of this prophecy, but you know what? It's not important. I'm not saying it's not important. It is important. But as long as you live faithfully, you have nothing to worry about. The just shall live by faith. You all just turn around playing with the words. I would say the faithful will live righteously all the time. If we have God's Holy Spirit, if we understand what is written in this here for us, then again, 
What should be outside? What should be out there that should disturb our way of life? To confuse us. Should be nothing. Because we have faith. We have faith. We understand what God's commandments are. We understand that we should love one another. And anything that comes in between, if it doesn't align up, if it doesn't agree, we should say, oh, well, wait a minute here. Stop right here. Stop right now. Brother, sister, this is not healthy. I can't accept such a thing. I can't accept such a theology. I can't accept, I can't, don't accept, I can't accept such an idea. It's an evil idea. We should have right away. We should, scripture should be come up and speak up right away. This is not the way how I live. If we don't exercise enough patience in God, because we think that God is somewhere out there, He doesn't care, you know, we are poor people, we are suffering here so much, and no one cares about this thing, and we need to take justice into our hands, you know, because God is, I guess, He wants to be neutral, God is just waiting, I don't know for what. If that's our attitude, if we don't comprehend what the Scripture says, then you know what? We open our minds to our theology that actually don't line up with the Word of God. And then the ideology can be hijacked into something that's going to lead to a disease and eventually death. And I'm talking about spiritual death. That's what the syndrome sounds like. That's what it's all about. See, I told you about all these conflicts, right? All this conflict I told you at the beginning to kind of draw a picture for you. All these conflicts, all these fights, you know, like many people fought for righteousness. You know, at least that's what they taught. And what have we learned through this history? We can't govern ourselves, right? Millions of people, we sacrifice millions of people, and we come to the conclusion that we can't govern ourselves. We can't change us the way how we are, how we operate, how we think. So why are we wasting this, you know, how we're wasting more time, our time, on something like that that will never, ever bring us peace? If we are ambassadors to God's kingdom, I think we should use all our energy, our passion, our time, our commitment for God's kingdom, right? I think so. 2,000 years ago, there was another conflict. 2,000 years ago, there was another conflict, and it's recorded in your Bible. It's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. It was such a, it wasn't just the, a local conflict that just happened in the land of Israel. It wasn't just, you know, like a global conflict. Like World War First and World War Second, let's say a communism. It wasn't a global. This conflict was a cosmic conflict. A cosmic proportion. The two most advanced spiritual power went head on head. You know what I'm talking about? Matthew chapter 4. All the other conflicts, the human conflicts, World War First, World War Second, all the other ones. Yes, they change us. Maybe for a decade or so, or two, maybe we adjust our, you know, economic system. Maybe we make some adjustment into our political system. You know, maybe we change our constitutions here and there. You know, we do some tweaking here and there. But over the longer period of time, we go back to the same issues over and over again. We just can't govern ourselves. But this conflict gives us something that there is hope for you and me. Matthew chapter 4. What conflict I'm talking about? Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1. 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Satan devil himself with Christ, Son of God, head on head. Can you imagine this? What's at stake here? My future, your future. Not just my future for, let's say, till I, till my retirement. Not just about my children. This is a global future for all of us. Going all the way forward to eternity. Going all the way back to Genesis. This is the conflict here. A cosmic conflict. And we don't pay pay attention to it. Now, I'm not going to read all the story here. I'm just going to pick up some verses here, okay? I'm just going to pick up some verses here. So we read verse 1. And Christ, on top of that, as soon as he was baptized, as soon as the Holy Spirit came on him, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Right? Just like Jephthah, remember? The Holy Spirit came on him. He went into the battle and he won. Now here, Christ. And verse 2, he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he was hungry. At the weakest point in his human life, that's where Satan comes in. And it's amazing. We know the story. I'm not going to go to some of the details. But what I want you to pay a close attention, because this is, you know what? This is helpful. This is helpful in a way. If you want to, if you want to overcome, if you want to be healthy, if you want to over, overcome the syndrome of Jephthah and the syndrome of Habakkuk, this is the solution right here. This is the solution for right here for all of us. No matter what is your color of your skin, where you live, what is your social economic status, it doesn't matter. This is the solution. But you know what? We need to stick to it. Jesus Christ, stick to it, and he overcame. And if we stick to this thing, we'll overcome. And there is the greatest rewards for overcomers, we know in the book of Revelation, right? First resurrection, eternal life forever and ever. That's it. That's how powerful it is. So what happened here? Let's just look at verse 4. As this conflict goes between these two spiritual beings, head on head. So he answered and said, verse 4. And look what, what Christ said. Verse 4, he said, it is written. He didn't say it was said so. He didn't say, oh, you know, I feel like, oh, you know, I'm very angry. Oh, you know, I'm very sad. Oh, you know, I am so confused. Oh, I have no idea what to do. What did Christ say? Verse 4. It is written. Go down to verse 7. What did he say? It is written again. It is written. It is written again. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away with Satan. What? What did he say? It is written. It is written. Are we, as the first fruits, are we governed by this book? Do we really respect what is written in this book? Or we just let it go? I am very angry today, so you know, I have the right to be angry. If I am angry, I have the right to say whatever I want to say, and have the right to do whatever I want to do. No matter who is at the other side. Because I need to prove my cause. I need to prove my human cause. 
Do we have the right to do that? Look what Christ did. The most critical moment in his ministry, when everything was at stake, he said, it is written three times. So that's one thing. It is written. Now, what else he said? Verse 4. It's what is written. But he quotes some very important scriptures here. So, first thing he said. It is written what? Verse 4. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So how come we are more interested, you know, trying to gather all the resources, the earthly resources, so we try to protect our lives from the unknown, when the most powerful weapon for our protection would be just to know what is written here. And not just to know. Knowledge pops up. That's the sermon last week. Knowledge pops up. Not just It's not about intellectual knowledge. But it's about implementing this knowledge into our behavior. As our body and our mind through God's Holy Spirit is really tuned to Christ, to God, there is no way that we're going to go astray. No way. And especially if you are in an environment, if you have a family, not just our family at home, but also our church family, that we're going to hold each other accountable There is no way that we're going to fall apart. They have leaders who's going to stick to the word of God. They're going to preach, not just things that are comfortable and easy, but everything. There is no way that we're going to go away from this. But but Christ said, but how many words? Some of the words, every word that proceeds from, from the mother of God. You might be a situation, you might have a scenario in your life. This book, look at this book. It's a thick book. I can bet you that you're going to find something in this book that will have a solution for your problems. Just spend some time reading this book. Investigate this book. Study this book. Solution might come. Be patient. Be patient. Now, what else he said? Verse 7. And again, what did he say here? You shall not tempt... The Lord, you God. Don't get yourself involved in some movements, in some activities that are not godly, and then you're going to ask God for your protection. That's blasphemy. Please, don't do that. It's not healthy. Don't make decisions that are against God's will, that are against God's commandment, and hope, hoping that, you know, I may get away with it. And hoping that, you know, I am so special that, you know, it happened before, I got away before, first time, second time, third time. Don't sear your conscience. Please. Don't tempt the Lord your God. The last thing that Christ said here, verse 10, 
Christ said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written again, it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Can be. One foot here, and we walk one foot over here. Our God is a jealous God. Whether we serve him, or whether we serve the world. You know, whether we're waiting for God, or we want to take things into our hands. We can have both. If we claim that we under that we after his own name that let us have and worship only one truthful God. Brethren, in closing, there is so much I just wanted to say here, but I know that time is running away from me. And I want to just close it because there is so much, but hopefully I give you some ammunition. I hope I'll give you some something tangible. To hold on, you know, during these difficult times, you know. And the thing is, whatever we experience right now, this is nothing. The worst thing will come. We need from this point, we need to take advantage of whatever is happening around us right now. So eventually, eventually, at least we're going to be like the Jehovah's Witness that I mentioned at the beginning. We need to come to the point that we'll be able to lay down our life for one another. Not to betray one another, but lay down our life for one another. See, righteous person will always live by faith. Righteous person will always live by faith. Or a faithful person will always be righteous. That's God's expectation. And don't worry. Don't worry about anything else. God will take care of all the other things. You make sure that you live by faith in God. And you live righteously. And I want to leave you with this scripture. Hebrew chapter 10 will be the last scripture here. And as I finish here, I am very grateful to all of you for faithfully joining us week after week, waiting to late service, like 2.30, and you always here supporting us, and we are grateful to serve you with whatever capacity we can. And here, I just want to leave you with the scriptures here. Hebrew chapter 10. Okay. Hebrew chapter 10, and let's start from verse 32. Hebrew chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you become companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive 
the promise. After, after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And here comes the quotes. Look what God is telling him. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. God will take care of it. He's got a time, a point in time. He's always on a schedule. Always. You may think he's late. You may think he doesn't care. He does. He's always on a time. Verse 38. Now, the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. May God bless you all, brother. Thank you for coming and joining us. Have a still great Sabbath day, and hopefully join us next week, the same time, same, the same venue. Praise God. May God bless you all. Thank you, Brother Jan, for that uh, very heartfelt message. You certainly asked us some very pointed questions, and I appreciate uh, your boldness and your courage in asking those questions. I just hope that uh, individually and collectively we can search the scriptures and answer them so that we may be uh, we may be among the just that live by faith. Thank you so very much for your time and effort to put together such a courageous message. Before we go to the closing hymn, I will uh, provide the closing prayer, and immediately after the closing prayer, we will uh, close off with page 227, page 227, Faith of Our Fathers. And just uh, as we sing these words, there was an old... Uh, there was an old uh, uh, line years ago when I was growing up in a in a uh, the worldwide church of God that it's just as much as uh, just as much a sin to sing a lie as it is to say one. Let's be very cognizant of the words that we sing here in faith of our fathers. Uh, very apropos given the message we just heard. Uh, so that's page two twenty seven. Faith of our fathers immediately following the closing prayer. Father in heaven, we just take some time here on this Sabbath day to pause before you and your son in your magnificent throne room. We ask you to accept us before you so that you may hear our prayers. And we certainly thank you for your word that has been expounded to us today. We thank you for the the bold questions that were asked of us. And we thank you for the examples in scripture that we can go to to reflect and shine the mirror of your word in our lives. Please, please stir up the Holy Spirit amongst us and within us, both individually and collectively, that we might do so, that we might so value the sacrifice of your son, that we might so value the gospel that we claim to profess, that we will have your holy word shine a light on our, our, on our, on our insides, on our minds, on our hearts so that we may reflect on the words that were said today and that we might come out of this better, that you may, uh, in a similar way that you did to David when he prayed in Psalm 51, to, to cleanse our heart, to, to shine a light on, uh, on our sins, to call out our sins and our iniquities and our transgressions, that we may be better for you, that we may become more like your son, we thank you so very much for the passion 
of those that serve. We thank you for the words that, that have been said. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, that in his in coming to Tabernacle with us all those years ago, that he provided the roadmap to to improve our lives, that it was strictly you that we worship. It is strictly your word that we follow. And that we can't live two separate lives and expect you to look after us. Thank you so very much for this. We ask you to be with all of those people in your body around the world as we uh, find ourselves in times of, uh, in, t- in very unique times, in times of struggle, in times of, of, of where world events are, are certainly unfolding. Please give us the courage and the boldness to stick close to you, to stick close to your word, to call upon you, to pray daily, to study daily, to to continue to to have you influence us towards becoming more like your son. Thank you so very much for this. We thank you again for technology that continues to hold up despite the the regulations around us that drive us apart, that prevent us from gathering. Thank you so very much for this. We ask you to dismiss this service. Go with us this week. Help us to to come back next week, wherever it is that we gather, where, wherever it is that we worship, and come back better. Come back having having made a difference this week in our lives so that we can make a difference for you. Thank you so very much for this opportunity. Thank you for calling us into your the, into your truth. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, and thank you for. Jesus Christ, and thank you for the, the examples that we have in your scripture. Human beings, of course, that, that were weak and that struggled, but that whose stories have been preserved for us. We thank you for this. Dismiss us from here. Go with us. We uphold those and lift up those to, to you that are on all of our prayer lists. And we just thank you so very much for all of these things, and we do so in the name of our elder brother, and our King, Jesus Christ. Amen.